Bienvenidos, I'm your host Lore, and this is Creepy Chisme. Warning, some stories and information on Creepy Chisme may be triggering and are not suitable for all, especially young children. Please listen with caution. Thank you. Hola mi gente! Welcome back to another episode of Creepy Chisme! Happy Halloween! <laughs> it has finally arrived! <laughs> and I am feeling so much better. Still a little something in there, but you know... <laughs> almost better, thankfully. But I do still lose my voice towards the end of the day, and I'm pretty sure it's just allergies, so... I will be fiestejando this weekend for Halloween. I'm so excited. I bought all my candy. Y'all, if you don't have candy yet, go get it because <laughs> everything is empty. And then, like, as I'm pulling my chocolates off the shelf. Well, one, don't ever go to the store when you're hungry. You should see my groceries. I got all snacks. And then I got home and I'm like, what am I going to make? So never go to the grocery store hungry. But yeah, I went to get some Halloween candy. Eh, I'm not really sure. I don't think a lot of trick-or-treaters come to this area. So I didn't get too many because I'll probably just eat the candy myself eventually the next couple weeks. But I got just a little. But I was laughing because I remembered the fact that I told you guys about chocolate. How they sell like 90 million pounds of chocolate the week of Halloween. And I bought all chocolate. So there's that. <laughs> Alright, I hope y'all are doing okay. I know I am. Um, Teachers, I don't know how you're doing, but I hope you're doing okay. <laughs> this has been a hell of a week, man. We had... <laughs> are you ready for this? We had a fire drill on Monday, lockdown drill on Tuesday. Tomorrow we have fall parties. Thursday's parent-teacher conference in the evening. At least I get to sleep in a little. And then Friday is PD, professional development, all day. So meetings all day. Yep, it's been that kind of week. Oh, and the book fair. The book fair is going on too, so kids want to go to the book fair. And oh my goodness. It's like they did it intentionally, planned everything in one week. Oh, and Halloween. <laughs> so, ugh. Yeah, so I hope you're doing good, teachers, if your schedule is anything like mine. So I went to the Haunted Hayride. It was so much fun. It was not scary. It was totally family-friendly. <laughs> it was so much fun. My niece enjoyed herself. She even was brave enough to buy a ticket to the Haunted House, but I was still like, I don't care if the actors are half my age. I'm not walking in any dark place that I don't have to. The Hayride was amazing. There was one point on the hayride where we were kind of like uh, driving over towards another section they were taking us to. And the night, I am telling you, the night was perfect. A little chilly, not that cold, but there was this fog, like right, or fog or mist that was like right over the field we were driving through. And then the moon was shining so bright down on us. There was a few clouds like in the sky and the sky was like this dark purpley pink. And oh, I saw my niece. I'm like, look at that. That looks amazing. But I was too scared to take my camera out because the ride had just started and I didn't know what to expect. But it was cute. It was cute. I would take my kids that I don't have. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but I would take kids to that. That was cute. I believe the hayride was called like the hell hayride of horror or something. Maybe it was just haunted hayride of horror. But the Lockport, I think I said a Lombard before. I don't know where I got Lombard from, but Lockport, the Lockport park district you guys did amazing so thank you and we will be returning next year and i don't know i think i <laughs> i think that like opened a door for me because i might try something a little scarier next year <laughs> we'll see we'll see y'all all right let's get into our halloween facts because i've got a long story for y'all today and i want to get right into it so let's do our Halloween facts. 
All right, so before candy was handed out, which is said to have started in 1930, I've mentioned this before, a long time ago, the poor would go and beg for food in exchange for prayers. So they'd beg for food and then they would pray as a thank you. But eventually, before candy became popular, people would hand out homemade treats. So such as cookies or caramelized nuts or sugared when you put sugar on the nuts. But anyways, so pretty much like any type of baked good. They would also give out like little toys and even some coins. Now around the 1950s, marketing from candy companies stepped up their game and they started selling pre-packaged Halloween candy, which is pretty much what we still see in stores today. They also do it for Christmas, Valentine's Day, Easter. You know how they change all the packaging on the candy? Yeah. And now that has just become the main treat that we give out on Halloween. So candy, it's just easier, right? It's already pre-packaged and you just hand it out. Now along the lines of candy, did you know that candy corn used to be called chicken feed? Now, according to history.com, which y'all, I love the history channel and I love history.com. Candy corn came out around the late 1800s and around this, well, around that time, half of America was made up of farmers. So the agricultural, is that how you say it? Agricultural uh, careers, they were booming, y'all. Everyone had a farm, right? So most candy that was made around that time was made into agricultural shapes or things that reminded them of things they saw every day. So the small triangle shape reminded them of chicken feed. However, after World War I, the name was changed because chicken feed is not very appealing to people, right? (laughs) You don't want to eat what a chicken eats. So they changed the name and they were like, hmm... What do we eat a lot of around this time? Obviously, somebody in the Midwest was like, corn. So, candy corn. Fun fact about me. (laughs) A lot of people don't like candy corn, but I actually enjoy it. It is not my favorite at all, but I'll have a few pieces. That and those little orange pumpkins with the little green top. I have no idea what they're made out of, but they're pretty good. I think more than anything, I just like the smell of candy corn. So here's another fun Halloween fact. I wanted to know what started haunted houses or where did the idea of haunted houses start? Now, what I found about this topic was that in the years leading up to the Great Depression, young men would use Halloween to cause travesuras, so mischief. Sometimes more than just a few little tricks like these boys. Oh, you'll see. <laughs> in 1933, parents, they were pretty much done dealing with the damage done by over 100 boys. I'm telling y'all, they were buck wild. They were flipping cars, sawing down telephone poles, and vandalizing anything they could get their hands on. So people referred to this time as Black Halloween. Just like how when the stock market crashed, they called it Black Tuesday. So instead of canceling Halloween, like lots of people wanted to do because they were so sick of the travesuras, communities started planning things for the kids to do so they wouldn't get into trouble. And one of those became haunted houses. So pretty much to keep them busy so they wouldn't get in trouble. Now, haunted houses are still popular today, but mostly for the thrill of it. But I see it still serving the purpose of keeping young kids and young adults busy and out of trouble. So I thought that fact was pretty interesting. You guys don't know it, but I do because of the wonders of editing. But like, I have been trying to record this episode for the past two hours. And I have no idea what is going on today, but I swear to the Lord that they are moving every freaking train in the Chicagoland area past my house. For the past two hours, every like five minutes, you just hear train horns. You Can, can you hear it now? And of course, of nothing, right? <laughs> you hear it? I, I hope you guys can't hear it. It's loud. And at some points, it sounds like they're right outside of my house. 
So I'm going to ignore them and I hope you can do the same. I hope you, I really hope you can hear them. So the story I have for you guys today is like always a good one. Now y'all know how much I love missing persons cases and I have not done enough of them on this podcast, but I love missing person cases and more than anything, I love me a good cold case. And if you are new to the true crime world, I guess I should explain a cold case is when it literally is cold and frozen. It's pretty much what it means. It's like nothing has come of it. And years later, still nothing has come of it. So that's a cold case. And believe me, there is a show I absolutely love called Cold Case Files. And it's amazing how many cases in the world, in our country, remain unsolved and just frozen. Like there's no more clues, there's no more evidence, nothing. It's just a dead end. It baffles me every time. Just the thought that someone can be here today and be gone tomorrow without a trace. Now this case actually does possibly have an ending and I'll get into that later and we'll talk about that. So in order to talk about this case, let's take a trip back to Halloween 2001. I think I was like 12. <laughs> 12 or 13. Yow. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Now, after a night of parties, games, and friends, 21-year-old college student Cindy Song mysteriously vanishes after being dropped off by one of her friends at her apartment. This is one of Pennsylvania's most notorious crimes. So who is Cindy Song? Now, Song was born February 25th, 1980. Hey, she's a fellow Pisces, which probably explains why I was really drawn to this story. You know, us Pisces, we stick together. <laughs> so she was born in South Korea and spent most of her childhood in Seoul. Is that how you say it? Seoul? Seoul? Seoul, Korea. Now, her Korean name was Hyung Jong Song, but not much is really spoken about her life in Korea. But what I do know is that Song really craved bigger and better things for herself. Now, once she became 18, she knew that she wanted to get a better education. She knew she wanted to leave the country. How about that? I, I just don't know that feeling. <laughs> I used to have a friend who would always just be ready to go, like, out of the country to anywhere. And I'd just be like, how? Like, how can you do that? <laughs> I like my bubble, okay? Don't hate. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, she knew she wanted to leave and... Go do bigger, better things. So in 1995, at the age of 15, Song moved to Springfield, Virginia, where she had an aunt and uncle that lived. So here in Virginia, she attends the local high school, and she had a very independent personality. So even though she's more than 6,000 miles away from home, she still manages to fit right in and enjoy her new Western life. Now, in high school, she becomes well-known by her American name of Cindy. But not just that, she also excels at her schoolwork and she gets good grades, which blows my mind because you just moved here to this new country where we speak a different language and do everything different, and you're doing great. <laughs> so that is a major change for her. But yeah, so she's very intelligent, but not just intelligent, she's also athletic. So Song loved playing tennis, and she also ran track. So we've got good grades, she's great at sports, and she also found time to love and blog about the arts. So she had a personal blog where she would talk about photography, dance, art, and film. So with all of that, she of course was accepted into the Pennsylvania State University. She chose to study integrative arts. Now the integrative arts was a student design program at the university that pretty much combined science, business, engineering, and communication all with the arts, which translates into a bachelor's of arts degree. 
Now this specific major is very difficult to do. I mean, you're pretty much putting every single degree into one. That's pretty much what this is. So in order to be accepted into the program, one has to be very focused and very disciplined because the student pretty much makes up their own curriculum. But for Song, she was very good at all of this, of course. She was a hard worker, very responsible, and very good at balancing her new university life. So going to college that first year for anybody is really hard to stay focused and be responsible uh, especially with your studies, because you're gaining all of this freedom. Like, I never forget when I first went to college, and I just went to community college, I thought it was amazing that I could just get up and walk out, go to the bathroom when I wanted, go have a snack, come back. I mean, of course, you get one or two teachers that are like, you can't leave, I'm locking the door. Once the door's closed, you can't come in. You know, you still get that, which I think is bullshit, because... You're not getting paid to keep me in here. Like, you're just getting paid to stand up there and teach us. And if I want to listen, I will. And I didn't, but... (laughs) But yeah, so just knowing that you have all that freedom. So I can't imagine how it must have felt to move away from home and live away from home. But anyway, kudos to her for staying focused. Now, a lot of people have trouble also balancing, you know, that freedom, grades, socialization, you know? But Song also did all of that, but she also worked two part-time jobs. How did this girl function? I have no idea, (laughs) but it makes me feel extra lazy. Now, one of her jobs was at a sushi restaurant near the campus. So even with all of that, she still found time to do all the fun college things as well. Now, she had a very good group of friends that described her as very attractive nice and optimistic she got along with all kinds of people she was really a beautiful person inside and out she was 5'1 with dark straight long hair and she was a very petite now her friends said that she had a few guys that were interested in her of course she's a beautiful girl one guy in particular was named richard che now eventually Song and Che fell madly enamorado, and they quickly moved in together. So they move into the State College Park Apartments, which was an uh, which was an apartment complex outside of the university campus. Things are pretty perfect for Cindy Song, and she was loving her life. But like all relationships, especially first loves, most of the time, eventually, right after moving in together. Richard Che decides that he's going to leave and he packs up and he moves out. I mean, that's pretty much the reason you move in with someone is to see if you can live with them. And for them, it seems like right away he was just not into it. But of course, Song was in love and so he left her completely heartbroken. So he moves out in September of 2001 and of course... Being a college student, you can't afford an apartment on your own, so she had to find a roommate right away, which she did. She found her new roommate, Catherine. Now, around this time, Song had found out that she was going to get to graduate early, and although completely heartbroken and devastated, she still kept her focus on her goal, which was graduating. So she's got a new roommate, Catherine, and they become good friends. And, you know, Song kind of leans on her. She's going through this heartbreak, and it hurts, and... You know, but she still needed a little extra help. So she was really distraught by her breakup and she decides to seek therapy. So once she starts going to therapy, she's prescribed medication because she was depressed and she used her blogging to heal. Uh, She would blog about her mental health and about how to self-love. And she also wrote about her relationship and other relationships too. Now, after about a month, she started feeling a lot better. But it also helped that she had something to look forward to that October 2001. She had just handed in an application for a graphic design internship. She had even won tickets to a Britney Spears show. And of course, she was excited for Halloween activities and parties. So she had all of that to look forward to throughout the month of October into November. So we reached the night of the disappearance. 
Now, Cindy's song was excited to dress up and go out, even though it was a Wednesday night. So Song and her two friends, Stacy and Lisa, were going to get dressed up and head to Players Nightclub for a costume party. Now, something I have to mention is that her roommate, Catherine, was not around this night because she had gone home and was with her family. So Song made her own cute little bunny costume that her friends claim in no way was too sexy or revealing. Her friend Lisa said, quote, she had bunny ears and a tail that she had bought. It was a very cute outfit. It wasn't like a sexy outfit. It was a very cute outfit. That was her thing. She was very cute. She liked to look cute, end quote. Now, the girls had a lot of fun that night, dancing and drinking until about two in the morning when the club closed. But because they were having so much fun, they did not want to go home just yet. So after Joy driving around campus, the girls stop at a friend's house who lived at the Park Hills apartment complex. Now by this time, everyone, of course, is feeling good and a little bit tipsy. So when they get to the friend's house, they just hang out, play some video games, and have a few more drinks. So the girls decide to leave, it's getting kind of late, and Song gets dropped off at about 4 a.m. by her friend, Stacy. But before being dropped off, they stop to pick up some food. We all know how that goes, right? (laughs) Nothing better than eating while drunk. Now, this part bothers me, but maybe I'm just this kind of person. But when you drop off anyone, like you're driving someone home, right? When you drop them off, please stay until they get into their house. Because Song's friend says that she didn't stay to see if she got into the apartment complex. And I won't hold it against her. You know, they had been drinking. Who knows if she was even thinking correctly. But y'all, that's so important. Please be courteous. So her friend, Stacy, was the last known person to see Cindy Song. And so the last known location of Song was her apartment complex stairs and the main entrance. So begins a two-decade investigation. Yes, I said two decades. So let's talk about the disappearance. So that afternoon, November 1st, 2001, Song's roommate Catherine comes home from her trip home. Now Catherine had plans with Song that day to hang out and catch up, talk about what she did over Halloween, and go out later that night. But Catherine said the front door was locked, and when she entered, Song was nowhere to be found. She wasn't in her room, but like most of us would have thought, Catherine assumed that she would be back sometime soon. But here's the wild thing. This thing, this really bothers me. Two days go by, and nobody says anything. For two days, Cindy Song is not seen or heard from, and no one says a word. But let's just say everyone's hungover, right? And most likely busy with studies. But I still find it hard or difficult to believe that none of her friends even wondered where she might be. Y'all, please check on your friends and loved ones. It takes five seconds to send a text. But Song did live off campus, so her friends didn't see her too often. But by that Saturday, after she had missed her Thursday-Friday classes, they started to worry. Now, the worry really picked up when Song didn't show up for work that afternoon. So police were finally called. But two days is a long time for evidence to disappear. Now, we know that police and any race that's not white don't really work together. You know what I'm saying? So I wasn't really surprised to find out that when police were called... Because it was a Saturday, it took the police report another few days to reach the Ferguson Township Police Department lead detective, Brian Sprinkle. So not until the following Monday did they finally get to Song's apartment to search. I am livid at this fact because five days after Song has been missing, they start an investigation. What the fuck? Five days. Now, Detective Sprinkle says that nothing looked out of place in the apartment or out of the ordinary, so they quickly ruled off burglary or any type of struggle in the apartment. But what Detective Sprinkle does find 
is that Song did enter her apartment after being dropped off due to some of the things they found in the apartment. For one, the night of Halloween, she wore these very, what's the word I'm thinking of here? I can't think of the word, but like over the top. She wore these like big eyelashes and the eyelashes that she wore were sitting on the bathroom sink. Another big thing they found in the apartment was her backpack. It was in her room with her cell phone tucked inside of it, like in one of the inside pockets of the backpack. And that backpack she had carried the night of Halloween. Now, most of her personal items were all left behind, including her Britney Spears tickets. And y'all know if you're going to run away from home, you're going to take your Britney Spears tickets. Nobody would pass up the chance to see Britney. They also found a receipt of a computer that she had recently purchased that was to be delivered on November 6th. Now, some important things they did not locate in the apartment were her keys, her license ID, and her purse. So, this led police to believe that she left the apartment sometime between being dropped off and when her roommate came home the next afternoon, which is a very large time gap. Remember, she was dropped off at 4. The roommate didn't get there until about 1 in the afternoon. Now, also missing were the clothes that she had on with her costume. So police then go check her credit card, but find absolutely no purchases on it, and then check her cell records, which had no incoming or outgoing calls made. So they have no lead. Nothing, nada, Cindy Song has vanished without a trace. Now her friends say there is no way Song would have just up and left for a new life. Absolutely not. And police agree with them, thankfully. But what happened then? What happened to her? What we know for sure is that Cindy's song was dropped off around 4. She entered her apartment, took off her eyelashes, and dropped off her book bag. Her cell is still in her bag. But 2001, people had cell phones, but we weren't attached to them the way people are now. Like, now you leave your phone without or now you leave your house without your phone and you like straight up panic, right? Everything is on that phone. Back in the day, a phone was literally to make a call if you needed it. So she left without it. Not really a big deal. But after a night of partying, by 4 a.m. you're getting home? I don't know about y'all, but I would be knocked the hell out. Like shoes on and a big belly flop right into bed kind of night, you know? Now I'm playing detective here. But other than to go meet someone, she already picked up food, right? So she doesn't need any food. But also, it's almost morning. Why even go out for anything unless it was an absolute emergency? So because no one called her, because she didn't mention anything to friends about meeting up with someone, I think someone she knew showed up and convinced her to leave the apartment. Or... Possibly this person happened to have met her by chance in the apartment complex at 4 a.m. And were looking for that, you know, drunk, lonely girl. Saw her, they go to her, maybe even go to her door and convince her to let them in so she could get ready to leave wherever with them, right? That's my, that's what I'm thinking at this point, but I don't know. They have no leads. Now my mind is racing and, and what it comes down to is no clues or evidence. All we can do is theorize hundreds of scenarios, which is exactly what Detective Sprinkle says. So with nothing to go by, Sprinkle starts looking more into the people in Song's life, starting with her family in Korea. But no luck there. So then they talk to her friends, but again, they find nothing. Now, one friend said that it was pretty common for Song to go out late to run to the 24-hour grocery store right across from where she lived. So police think that's exactly what happened. Soon as Song got home, she realized she needed something and maybe grabbed her purse and left. I've done that before, so I can see that happening. But the thing is, no purchases were made on her card. And no camera footage from that grocery store showed her in the store that night, police claim. So that theory was pretty much thrown out. Next, police thought that possibly she could have been going to buy drugs 
due to the fact that Song had once blogged before about trying ecstasy and weed. But her friends say, no way, absolutely not. Like most college kids, those experimentations with drugs is pretty normal. And that's all Song did was experiment and that was it. In no way was she addicted or had an addiction. Now police agreed and this theory was shot down pretty quickly as well. So then police look into Song's mental health. Remember, she's dealing with heartbreak and depression. Now her family knew of her recent struggle after her breakup and they asked police if they thought she could have taken her own life. But again, her friends were like, hell no, no way. So she had been mentally stable for some time and she would always let someone know when she was leaving anywhere. So knowing she had plans, Detective Sprinkle agreed that no way did she run off. So knowing that she had um upcoming plans, Detective Sprinkle agreed that there was no way that she would run off or take her own life, which led police to the theory she was abducted and killed either from her complex or on the way out. So days pass by and nothing comes of the case. But police receive a lead from a woman who claims that she saw a woman fitting Song's description in a Chinatown district of Philadelphia. Now this area is about 300 miles from the university. The lady claims that the girl was crying and yelling for help while being pushed into a vehicle. The lady said she tried to intervene and help the girl but instead was chased by the man. The woman was able to give a description of the man. He was an Asian male with olive skin tone, medium length hair. But then this woman started to change her story every time police talked to her and it wasn't consistent. So police strayed away from the tip and they received some other leads too around this time, but rather quickly, everything was turned down and led to nowhere. Now the case of Cindy Song most likely had to do with foul play and days after the investigation started, police were already searching nearby, nearby fields and land for anything they could find. Checking everything from the complex, dumpsters to local parks, and then doing larger, more extensive searches from the air and even in the water, anywhere they could find. Now, nothing was found. No clues. Eventually, the case of Cindy Song became world news, especially in South Korea. The headlines read, International Student Missing. At this point, the FBI got involved as well as her mother and brother, who flew to Pennsylvania to help with the search. Now, it took her family to come and see the lovely work that the police had been doing. Now, what her mother found was that there had been many mistakes made by the police. For one, the police granted the family access to Song's apartment. When they got into the apartment, it had been cleaned up by police. Now, I'm no genius here, but don't clean a crime scene when the crime has not been solved. <laughs> I mean, there could still be a clue there, you know? So her mother was, she just was upset and she felt that the police were so stuck on the fact that she was dead and therefore not treating the case as a missing person, even though there was still no evidence anywhere of foul play. So the Song family hire Jin Han, who was a New York attorney to help represent the concerns against the police. The family also reached out to Pennsylvania State students and they formed a group known as the Coalition for the Search for Cindy Song. The group's main focus and purpose was to bring attention to what happened in the hopes that someone knows or saw something or maybe even heard anybody say something about it. On January 31st, 2002, the group along with Song's mother and brother and the New York attorney held a press conference. During the press conference, they pretty much bashed police for negligence and racial bias for not doing enough to find Cindy. Detective Sprinkle responded back saying that they did everything they could have given the little evidence they had. Song's mom did not agree and formed a petition with over 15,000 signatures on it asking the state police to take over the case. Now in doing all of this, the Ferguson Township Police Department decided to cut all ties and not speak to the Song family anymore. Lame. Yeah, they weren't happy. And how rude. 
Like this lady's trying to find her daughter and because your pride ego so big, you're just like, well, I'm not saying anything, assholes. Anyway, so this caused the entire case to freeze. It became a cold case. And for a long, long time, nothing came of it. Now in 2002, a year later, a woman named Carla Barron was asked to help aid in the case. Now, Carla is a psychic paranormal investigator, and she claims that she saw what happened to Cindy Song on Halloween 2001. She said, quote, When this first came up, I've seen three to four men that were with Cindy. So I knew that she was abducted, and I knew it was sexual in nature. And I'm just seeing her being loaded into this vehicle. Then I see it wasn't very long before she had crossed over. End quote. She also told police more info, but it didn't lead to anything. So once again, the case goes cold. Now a year later, after that, a man is convicted and speaks up and says that he knows what happened to Cindy Song. He was convicted for something completely nothing to do with the case. But he's just like, guess what? I can tell you about Cindy. So who is this guy? His name is Paul Weekly, and Paul was a career criminal who was convicted of burglary in Lazarne, Pennsylvania in June of 2003. Now, to reduce his charges, because he was in big trouble, so to reduce his charges, he tells police that he has info on the Cindy Song case. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but burglary, although bad, is nowhere near abduction or murder, right? So I don't know, a bit crazy if you ask me? (laughs) But the story he tells is crazy. His story involves a man by the name of Hugo Solensky and a man named Michael Kurkowski. Now Hugo Solensky was a serial killer convicted in 2003 for having the bodies of five different individuals on his land. His yard, to be exact. Now, Michael Kurkowski, he was a pharmacist, and he was known to be running an illegal drug ring and was convicted on several counts because of it. Now, Paul claims that the two men, Hugo and Michael, mistook Cindy, who was wearing her bunny costume, as a prostitute. So they grabbed her from near the college and took her back to Hugo's home in Hunlock Creek. They kept her captive, assaulted her, and left her to die. Paul also revealed that Hugo also killed Krakowski and his girlfriend Tammy Fassett. So apparently, Paul claims that Krakowski wanted Cindy's bunny ears as a trophy. But Hugo got pissed about it, and Paul claims that Hugo has killed way more than just five people. He says 13 to be exact. Now this all sounds crazy, right? But Paul actually led police to Hugo's property where they found the five bodies they convicted him with. One was Kurkowski, and one was Kurkowski's girlfriend, Facet. So yeah, he's telling the truth. Now, two of the other bodies were of two known drug dealers that had been missing. The fifth body found was never ID'd. Now, I'm not sure why, especially after Paul's confession, is looking to be true. I mean... Bodies were found where he said they would be. So why would he lie about Cindy, right? Now, police continued to search Hugo's land, and they found seven more bodies. Cindy's song was none of them. Now, investigators can't connect Hugo Solensky to Cindy's song, but he hasn't been completely ruled out yet. Here's the thing. I think if Paul is telling the truth, which he told most, mostly the truth, you know, then I think what he said happened, happened. However, later police find that on Paul's computer, he had downloaded tons of articles about Cindy Song. So they now think one of two things, and I think I'm thinking the same thing. So the obvious one being that Paul was the abductor and not Hugo, And he's using Hugo, who he knew had killed already, to throw that murder onto. Or that Paul used the info he knew about Cindy to get a smaller sentencing. Now, like I said, 
Burglary and murder are two very different convictions. So I can see him not wanting to have any ties to a murder, so he blames Hugo, someone who is a murderer. But why lie about Cindy Song? If Paul already had valuable info about Kurkowski and Facet. Unfortunately, none of this helps the Cindy Song case, and all it does is lead to more theories. No evidence, no conviction. Regardless, both of these men have life sentences, but we'll never really know what happened, since Michael Kurkowski is also dead. Cindy Song's case is now a two-decade-old cold case. Many people theorize what could have possibly happened on that Halloween night in 2001. The Song family still pray for Cindy to be found alive, hopefully, but as the years go by, the dream gets smaller and smaller. This time of year must be really hard for the Song family, but yep, this is the case of Cindy Song who disappeared on Halloween. So yeah, I think Paul definitely gave some truth to the story of what happened to her, it makes sense knowing that she left her apartment. Maybe she was going to that grocery store and got picked up before even getting there, you know? But by 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, it's already getting bright. So to abduct someone, you have to be very brave to do so. You know what I'm saying? So if that really is what happened, that's where I'm lost. I, I Was it Paul? Did he do it? Especially after being obsessed with looking at articles about it. Or was it Hugo and Michael? Was it all three of them? It could have been all three of them. If what the paranormal investigator said is correct, it could have been the three men. Could have been Hugo, Paul, and Michael. And he's, and Paul is telling what he sort of remembers, right? What he wants to remember. That yeah, he probably did see Hugo kill Michael and his girlfriend. He was probably there. So I think behind it is some truth, but the fact that we'll never know, yeah, that, that bothers me. <laughs> All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that case. I mean, if anyone has any update that I haven't heard of on the Cindy Song case or any information, the case is still not closed. So keep that in mind. I want to end this episode with a spooky story for you. <laughs> This story is called, Two Little Girls Were Dancing in My Bedroom, and y'all know how I feel about children ghosts. <laughs> Here we go. My fiancé and I rent a house together, and we live alone. About two years ago, my fiancé and I were lying in bed. It was actually pretty late in the morning, 10.30 or 11 or so. I'd been awake for about 10 or 15 minutes and my fiancé was just waking up. We lied there, talking softly about whether or not we should get up or try to go back to sleep for a bit, since he had the first half of the day off of work. And it might be nice to catch up on sleep, since we'd had a busy couple of days. He was lying on his back, staring up at the ceiling, and I was on my right side, facing him with my hand on his chest while we talked. In that position, I had my back to our bedroom door, which was maybe eight or nine feet away from the bed behind me. Suddenly, an odd feeling came over the room. Seriously, it felt like the air in the room was suddenly either sucked out or made very, very heavy, and it almost felt like I was underwater or gravity changed. And the room seemed to almost feel like it was tilting to the side. It felt like the air in the room was pressing down on top of my body while at the same time slowing down time and making me dizzy and loopy. My ears were popping. Well, I thought it was just me feeling this. And for a moment, I wondered if I was having a blood pressure drop. I get those sometimes, though it still wasn't quite what it felt like. But my fiancé said in a very frightened voice that sounded like he couldn't breathe very well, and like he couldn't get out the words without struggling. Do you feel that too? What's happening? And that was when I knew something odd and scary was going on, because he was feeling the exact same thing. I tried to speak, but my speech actually came out kind of slurred, and I had to force the words out of my mouth to say, I don't know, I can't move. He said, I can't either. 
and I saw him trying to turn over onto his side and trying to raise his arm up. He just kept saying, what's happening? What's happening? I tried to raise my arm up too and found that I couldn't. Again, it was like being underwater in an intensely pressurized room. I started trying to push myself up to see if I could sit up. I couldn't do it. It was just too heavy. Then we both heard the doorknob of our bedroom door turning. It was turning over and over again. Almost like someone was trying to come in, but they weren't jiggling it or trying to open the door. It was actually turning in rhythm. It was turning back and forth, back and forth, in a rhythm at about the same tempo as a metronome. Like a beat to a song, it was very deliberate. We were both terrified and we froze. The first thought in my mind was that someone had broken in, though I couldn't figure out why they would turn the doorknob back and forth, back and forth in a deliberate rhythm, especially because our bedroom door has no lock on it. They could just open it and walk right in. We couldn't move. That weird heavy gravity feeling that was holding us down still would not allow us to move. But I was trying to, and I could feel my fiancé trying too. All I was able to do was turn my head very slowly and look over my shoulder at the doorknob and watch it turning. I could see it. Then we both heard it. Singing. Two children's voices, what sounded like a pair of young girls, started singing a song that I could not make out most of the lyrics to. And the only clear lyrics that I could make out was the very last word at the end of the sentence. Dancing. So let me clarify what I'm trying to describe. These two young girls' voices were singing an almost nursery rhyme type song outside our bedroom door, while turning our bedroom doorknob back and forth to match the tempo of what they're singing. The doorknob is going as the little girl's voices are singing something, 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 dancing. Something, 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 dancing. And the doorknob would turn with each word they sang, keeping perfect rhythm. I couldn't make out nearly any of the other words of this song they were singing except for the word dancing at the very end and they were singing it in a way that was kind of playful and taunting. Maybe for instance kind of like two little girls would do if they were teasing an older sibling or their mom or dad by coming up to a room they're in shaking the doorknob and singing at them just to tease. The song almost sounded made up the way kids sometimes sing little made-up songs to be silly or playful. Just trying to give you a feel as to how this sounded. It also sounded like they were laughing or trying not to wiggle while doing it. So as this is all going on and I'm watching the doorknob turn as these voices sing at us, and near the end of the song, I turn my head in slow motion back to my fiancé to see if he's seeing and hearing the same thing I am and I can now see, has finally managed to be able to turn his head, and he was watching the doorknob too, and the look on his face was just, I'll never forget it. His eyes were as big as dinner plates. I've never seen him that shocked or that scared. His face was white. And then the song ended. It was short, just two stanzas. Then just as soon as it started, the doorknob just stopped turning on the very last word of the song. Dancing. And all at once, that heavy, dizzy weight that had been holding us down and making it so hard to move and breathe just lifted. Just went away. Suddenly we could move again and the air and gravity felt normal. It seriously was all over, from start to finish, in about 10 seconds. My fiancé sat up and goes, what the hell just happened? And he jumped over me and out of the bed, raced to the door and yanked it open. Of course, nothing was there. We don't have a hallway. It's a small house and our bedroom door opens right up to the living room. And he just looked out into it and goes, nobody's out there. I got up and ran over to him and looked for myself. No one there. 
house empty, and her two cats were both backed up against the far wall of the living room, hissing and growling. They'd either heard it too, or even seen what did it. And from the spot right in front of our bedroom door, all the way through the living room, through the dining room, and out to the kitchen door, there was this trail of heat. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just a trail of heat. The air just felt hot and oily, and you could almost see a haze, like fog, trailing from our bedroom door, through the house to the kitchen door. We checked both the front door and the kitchen door, locked, both locked. We both sat down on the bed and we were just shaking. We kept asking each other, did that really just happen? We both heard the same thing, right? And yeah, we both felt the air pressure holding us down in bed and making us move in slow motion. And we both heard and saw the bedroom door now moving back and forth in rhythm. And then both heard the two little girls singing that song. So I know it wasn't a hallucination or anything. The only difference was that my fiancé understood a couple more of the lyrics of what they were singing, though not many. He said it sounded something like, And we come in a dancing, or, And we go a dancing. It was just so unsettling and spooky, and to be honest, the way the girls' voices sounded, they didn't sound mean or creepy. They seriously sounded like two real little girls who were just having fun and teasing us. It didn't feel or sound malevolent or anything. It still creeped us out. Just that it happened, though, we were both shaken up for the rest of the day. And I begged him not to leave for work that afternoon, but he had to. The whole time he was at work, I kept every light in the house on, along with both the TVs in the living room and our bedroom. It's never happened again, but it still creeps us both out just talking about it. Y'all, that was creepy. (laughs) I hate kid ghosts. I'm so sorry. I hate it. But two little girls dancing? Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) I have one more spooky episode for you, and that's Freaky Friday. I want to let you guys know now that for the month of November and December, I'm going to start putting out episodes bi-weekly, so not every week. Um, I have some stuff at work coming up that I need to be a part of, and it's going to take some time and planning and stuff like that, so I'm not going to put all that pressure on myself. So I will see you guys every other week, starting in November, so just be on the lookout for my episodes and my Freaky Fridays. And then too, I figured with the holidays coming up, it'll give me more time to do stuff like that. A lot of family stuff going on. Don't forget, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I had fun doing it. I am losing my voice, but I'll be fine. (laughs) Don't forget to find me on social media. I'm everywhere. Just search Creepy Cheese And don't forget that after every episode, I like to post a picture. And... Go ahead and comment. Tell me your favorite part. Tell me your theory. What do you think happened to Cindy's song? I'll post that on Instagram and Facebook group. So I want to hear your theories because I'm telling y'all I have about a good 10 theories of what I think happened. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate with a five-star rating and leave a comment so that others can know how great Creepy Cheesement is and join mi gente. I hope you guys have a spooky weekend and enjoy your Halloween. Gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thank you for listening and don't forget, stay creepy.